0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and, you know, happy Wednesday, people. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you've had an exciting June. Seems like, you know, things are going better. It's always a great day to be great, but I don't know. It's just a good vibe out today. I don't know what it is. I am joined. Almost as always, you can easily hear him on this very single podcast on Wednesday. Andrew Erickson, find him on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, we uh, didn't talk last week, and I am upset because you are tanner than I am, even though uh, I told myself this was the year I get a tan. But what's going on, man?
1: Hey, man, I was living that island life. I got started out with a nice... Burn a nice lobster look is usually how I set my nice base for the summer. So yeah, feeling good, man. Getting excited for season started fantasy, season, man. Fourth of July kinda kicks it off and we're right we're right in that area.
0: Yeah, I'm just different Shades of pale at all times, but <laughs> oh well, it's all good. People, you came in for fantasy football talk, and we have plenty to give you with that. So today's episode, I want to basically go through every single NFC team's uh potential wild card fantasy factor. We'll go through AFC next week. This is not necessarily a recommended fantasy target. It's just someone that Andrew and I think could be a wild card when, inv- when evaluating the team's playing time situation. I think a lot more people are going to start getting their drafts in July and August. And I just want to we would just want to remind you that you know these depth charts. Do consist of far more players than just the RB one you'll see flying off in the first rounds. You know, for example, uh, for the Colts, I'm sure next week we'll talk about Marlon Mack and how he could have an impact on Jonathan Taylor. Should you draft Marlon Mack? Absolutely not. But he is someone that you know might have a bigger impact on Jonathan Taylor's touches than you're thinking about. So whether or not you, d- you agree or disagree with that example, that's the goal here. Just trying to give you guys something else to think about. So with th- with that out of the way, Andrew, we're going to start in the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys. What player do you? Think think we should be keeping an extra close eye on in terms of their usage
1: all right so my guy is tight end Blake Jarwin you basically look at Jarwin season last year and it ended basically before it started he tore his ACL about three or four snaps into the Dallas Cowboys first game so we never got to see it play out but he was a really popular late round tight end option I know I was pretty high on him entering the season not as high as Chris Herndon but that's for the AFC podcast so with Blake Jarwin the thing that we want in this Dallas Cowboys offense is that tight end role. Because when Dalton Schultz took over that role last season, it saw a ton of usage. Dalton Schultz, it may sound surprising, but he finished third in the NFL in routes run at the tight end position. So, again, up with guys like Travis Kelsey and Logan Thomas, I believe, are the only two tight ends that finished above him. That's a lot of great usage there. So, even if Jarwin is inconsistent with tech, potentially with targets... He's going to have one-on-one matchups with all of the high-powered players on the Dallas Cowboys offense. So he's going to stumble into fantasy points, assuming that he reclaims the role as tight end one on the Dallas Cowboys offense. So again, there's no guarantee of that, except for the fact that they did pay a lot of money before last season to sign Blake Jarwin to a bigger contract entering his fourth season. So look, I think Blake Jarwin's a really good option as one of those later round tight ends. And it's important to pay attention to... The beat report's coming out. Is it Dalton Schultz working with the ones, or is it Blake Jarwin? That's yeah. strictly the the guy that they're looking to be their tight end one.
0: Speaking of the Dallas beat in uh, May, I sent out a tweet just to my tight end fantasy football tears and David Hellman uh, at Hellman DC uh, league guy over at DallasCowboys.com. R- really just fun. And he did some really great work with uh Dame Brugler and Brian brought on the draft show uh, back in the day as well. But anyway, I didn't include Jarwin in my tears and David just said, if the fantasy community could continue to sleep on Jarwin, it'd be much appreciated. My retort was I just kind of thought it'd be a little bit more of a committee between him and Dalton Schultz after Schultz was fine. David's response, I just think Jarwin has a downfield element to his game that we didn't see from Schultz, though he did play well, banking on anyone. This offense is risky with so many mouths to feed, but I'm still way, way high on his potential. Exactly what you said, Andrew. Like, Schultz was fine, but Jarwin is like a legit seam stretcher that can make some big plays. CJ Uzoma, I and Jarwin are the two guys that got hurt really early on last year. Uzoma had that Achilles injury, though, which we know we just don't want to bet on. So, Jarwin, I've been seeing the ADP creep up just a little bit, still not high enough to potentially get Dak Prescott's overall RB1. I had Tony Pollard written down. I don't think anyone's exactly sleeping on the guy. I would just say, you know, we did see him get, after Dak got hurt, Zeke fumbled five times in the first six games. Pollard did come away with 9, nine 10, five, six, nine, thirteen, ten, 10, and 8 touches with Zeke. Our projections still have Zeke in the five most touches in the entire league. I don't think Pollard is going to have the sort of split role he was starting to get close to last year. I mean, remember, Zeke came back after missing a game, still out-touched Pollard 40-18 to 18 over the next two weeks. I would just say, Andrew, if we get that week one snap rate and it's like 64, 40 instead of 80-20. That's going to raise some red flags.
1: Yeah, I think so, especially because we saw Zeke come back. And in that one game, he did come back. He played, I think it was like a 62% snapshare, it was his lowest snapshare of the season. But again, he actually turned it into his most productive game right. on the on the ground. So again, getting inspired, maybe he, you know, hey, sometimes it happens where Running backs see less touches, and then they're just more efficient. You know, again, like a Nick Chubb type of thing. So, again, I'm not holding myself out for Tony Paul in round nine. I think it's still a little (laughs) expensive, especially with some of these other types of you know handcuff running backs that you can draft that i think that have also a ton of upside as well um but the last thing on blake jarwin too uh he was not he got snubbed from tight end you so he's out for blood this year
0: <laughs> very good point god that tight end you looks so much fun yeah pay pay tight ends more people it doesn't make any sense to me how that position continues to get jib but we'll save that rant for another day andrew who on the new york giants do you think is flying a little bit under the radar
1: so this one was tough because, again, I think the entire offense as a whole is kind of just being slept on just because of the fact that they're just so bad last year. But you look the year before, again, you had Daniel Jones thrown for 24 touchdowns in 12 games in this year or the, uh, this past season, it regressed kind of like we all thought it would. So we're going to see things balance out a little bit. I don't think we're going to see them being necessarily nearly as bad as they were last year, especially with all the playmakers they've added. So someone that kind of pointed out to me that stuck out to me on the bottom of the depth chart. So John Ross is, is on Ooh, the New York Giants. Now
0: you're speaking my language, Andrew. Let's go. <laughs> John Ross is on the New York Giants. So
1: again, uh, this is still news to me as I was kind of diving <laughs> into the depth chart. It's pretty crowded. Obviously, they have a ton of different guys there. But look, Darius Slate is, is someone that I don't think Is necessarily a player that's locked into his role. You know, he's a former fifth-round pick, and yeah, he's fast, but so is John Ross. Like John Ross is fast too. And and say what you want about John Ross, but when he's been healthy, like he's he's been kind of productive. You know, I looked at some of his net past numbers the last couple of years. So 2018, he was ninth in fantasy points per touch because the guy somehow caught seven touchdowns on 21 receptions. (laughs) So he had a knack for finding the end zone, which was a big that was a big problem for this Giants offense last year. They couldn't convert. You know, Darius Slayton was getting all these high-value touches and just was not converting them. He wasn't converting end-zone targets. He wasn't converting targets downfield. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. And we know John Ross can can fly. Like, we know yeah. one thing he's good at is running fast. And I think it fits well with some of these other, like, Galladay's not really a burner, neither is Sterling Shepard. You have more possession guys. So John Ross, I think, adds another element to this, this offense. In 2019, you know, he was 23rd in yards per route run. Like, right underneath that... 2.00 that we look for as kind of like a threshold for receivers to hit he was at 1.95 so i mean he started off the 2019 season back-to-back 100-yard games and it looked like okay like these are coming together but then last year it just i mean they should have traded him like we were yeah. all preaching just trade drain trade john ross and they never did so i i'm kind of i'm very intrigued to see how he you know carves out a role potentially in this giant's offense he could get cut that's totally possible but I mean, these first round picks with speed, they, they stick around. And look, I've been, along, around, been, a, been around long enough to see the Prashad Perrymans bust and then oh come back to life. Like guys like that. So I don't think that's necessarily out of the range of outcomes for Ross.
0: I like that he said a nice thing about Rashad Perriman. We're always giving him kind words here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. It's amazing how crowded this offense is and like why they still didn't feel a need to address the offensive line. Like That was the problem last year. This group was horrible. They were 31st in pressure rate, and then even when you do, which is, you know, as we've talked about before, pressure rate, sometimes you have a mobile quarterback, and to skew things a little high. Even if you go under two and a half seconds, they're, then they're actually the worst offensive line in the league, and that's right where they're ranked in our PFF preseason offensive line ranking dead last. We got Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, John Ross, Kadarius Tony, Dante Pettis is on this team. I did not realize that until I was looking at the depth chart. Hell, we even got, you know, Kelvin Benjamin tight end experiment going on, even, and we're not focused on that because there's like three more things to talk about. It's a good point with Ross, and if he is going to be splitting field stretching wraps with Darius Slayton, it's just another kind of problem, another mouth we're going to have to feed in this offense. I'm on a similar page as you. I had Kyle Rudolph written down because Like he signed a two-year $12 million contract. That is not pennies. Like that's a deal that says that you're gonna be out there on the field a good amount. And don't take my word for it. Look at freaking Daniel Jones himself. Was it the Mets game or was it a Knicks game? They were sitting next to each other at a sporting event, Andrew. And if that's not all the you know clarification you need, then I don't know what is. But I would just say, you know, Evan Ingram, I still see him like not as a tight end one, but he's going like as almost a high-end tight end two. Do not draft Evan Ingram, people. I just think, you know, we named all those players and the offense is still going through Saquon Barkley first and foremost. So... Typically in fantasy football, if a team has two tight ends, they really don't have one. I think that's what we're looking at with the Giants. So Rudolph, like we all wanted him to be out of the picture so Irv Smith could play, but he's not awful or anything. He's actually made this. He's almost like Jimmy Graham. They like Jimmy Graham and Kyle Rudolph have an annoyingly long like highlight reel from the past two years of just like red zone touchdown catches. He can still do his job and they're paying him to do a pretty decent one. So, Andrew, you're not in on Evan, Evan Ingram, right? If, if you were before now, you can change your answer.
1: No, I'm, okay. not. I'm definitely not <laughs> nodding on Evan Ingram. Again, they need reliable weapons. I mean, Evan Ingram's biggest problem, one of his biggest problems last year was just reliability. You know, yeah. you looked at he was one of the most biggest underperformers. I looked at like top five tight tight ends that led yeah. their teams in targets. And Evan Ingram is like one of the only tight ends to lead his team in targets and not finish as a top five tight end in that same season. So just a lot of underwhelming performances from in- Evan Ingram.
0: And of course, it'd be a hell of a lot easier to uh, get behind anybody in this offense. If it wasn't Jason freaking Garrett being the one pulling all the strings. (laughs) Moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles. Andrew, you have a certain wide receiver that I will say looked like the best wide receiver on this team last year.
1: Yes, this was the leading wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles with 539 receiving yards last season. Travis Fulgham, weeks four through eight, he led the NFL in receiving yards. Again, like he did... Almost, I think eighty percent of his receiving yards were through a four-week stretch of just pure dominance. Where I remember we were talking about him a lot, you know, on the waiver wire. Is is, is he legit? Is he not? And you know, PFF seventh highest graded wide receiver over that time span, and then it just kind of fell off. Like we don't know what happened. You know, there were some rumors that he just kind of stopped applying himself, and he kind of thought he was like the guy that he would potentially be like. But as like a six round pick or as a former under or late round pick, he doesn't have that. Like you still have to work hard. You still have to do those types of things. So Folgum for me was interesting because we know that he's at least starting in three receiver sets. It seems like the Eagles are are good going away with the Greg Ward experiment because he actually led the team routes run God. when Jalen Hurts was under center last year. So in, in three receiver sets, it's it's Smith, it's Rager, and it's Folgum. I mean, Smith should should be the leader in that. Rager again I, I like him a lot but again there's there's one guy that we've seen produce really at the NFL level and his name is, is Travis Fulgham like so that's the one that kind of works in his favor so again if there's an injury to Rager or Smith like we could be potentially looking at Fulgham as someone hey we can trust this guy because we've seen him actually produce so again not necessarily someone you need to draft but someone to if an injury happens you know Goddard goes down something like that you know Fulgham only played in 50% of the snaps in half the games last year And yet he, I mean, he could have had a thousand yards if he had just played the entire season. So, yeah, Fulgham is an interesting guy to keep an eye on.
0: There's a moment. I think he scored that, like, game-winning tutty against the 49ers and kind of jumped on everyone's radar. And then they're playing the Ravens. Wentz just tosses one up in the end zone. Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, and Travis freaking Fulgham go for that ball. And then there's Fulgham standing in the end zone with, you know, those two ex-all-pro cornerbacks laying on the ground. So, the guy, it's, you know... Tough situation. Was he just the only guy kind of worth a damn in an otherwise atrocious situation? Sure. But, yeah, it looks like he's going to be out there in three wide receiver sets. And if he ends up being even the number two, this is an offense that, you know, as we've told you guys, is trending more towards being a middle of the pack group versus a bottom five uh, just in terms of their raw pass attempts. So, hey, if it's going to – we all know it's going to be Devontae Smith, wide receiver one with the Eagles, but they might actually have room for a second wide receiver, particularly if it can be Fulgham that rises up. I would say Kenneth Gamewell is someone else to keep an eye on. I don't necessarily think he himself will have a huge role, but I don't know, man. Someone asked me on Twitter the other day, like, who could I see being this year? JD McKissick just coming out of nowhere, like, not even really uh, ranked highly at all, just to catch a lot of passes. And why not take, uh, you know, another coach that has a pretty decent history of enabling those sort of receiving friendly packs So, uh, backs. so you know, Nick Sirianni last year with the Colts, he played Marlon Mack, Jordan Wilkins, and Naeem Hines. Those guys combined had more snaps and more touches than Jonathan Taylor. like this is not going to be the miles sanders featured back show and when you look at the eagles backfield you're going to see several names that you know you're probably surprised they're even on this team at this point but we still have miles sanders as the rb1 and he will lead the way it's just probably gonna be far closer to 200 than 300 touches because behind him we have boston scott carry on johnson jordan howard elijah holyfield for some reason then <laughs> kenneth gamewell is out there presumably to be the scat back so it's weird man miles sanders is like one of the most savage pass protectors i've seen i mean he just puts dudes in the dirt but he graded out as like one of the worst pff uh you know receivers last year and just in terms of among running backs it was tied with zeke for the most drops so if they don't trust sanders to catch the ball game is gonna be taking those fancy friendly targets and that is not good in fantasy land and talk to me about washington football team maybe number three wide receiver maybe number four diami brown
1: Yes, I I like Diami Brown a lot. You know, he's the kid from UNC who's a day to pick for the Washington football team. Again, that was his thing last year in college. Basically, what all he did in college was be a deep threat. You know, he was an elite deep threat at the college level. No player had more total yards or catches on targets of 20-plus yards downfield over the past two college seasons, and that fits really well with a quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, you look, obviously, McLaurin can take the top off the defense. Curtis Samuel is better suited for i think a role a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage i think that's probably how they might try to deploy him again the last time we saw curtis samuel like getting a bunch of air yards it didn't really work out super well with scott turner and the wasn't first his time, fault wasn't his it fault, wasn't, fault andrew it wasn't his fault it wasn't his fault he was getting open but i think that they envisioned diane brown as someone that they're not going to necessarily pepper him with targets, but someone that can deliver a lot of big plays and there's not really a lot of buzz around him but the fact that he has a pretty clear clear path to the number three receiver spot again logan thomas like how reliable is he going to be this year again there's a lot more competition now in that offense you know he really thrived again i mentioned it before he led all tight ends in route run, routes run last year so is that his same type of opportunity going to be there for him or are we going to see a little more splash plays from a diamond brown again ryan fitzpatrick i expect him to not necessarily go total gunslinger on us but at the same time like he's going to take shots downfield i think Damian brown is going to be one of the better guys that could definitely benefit from it
0: kind of a crowded situation, but I'm with you. Like, Why wouldn't the third round wide receiver kind of rise to the top? We've got Kelvin Harmon there, who's just a guy, I think. Cam Sims was actually pretty good after the catch last year, but I wouldn't say he exactly has a spot locked down. Adam Humphreys is in this wide receiver room now. It makes sense if Diami kind of wins that battle. Him and Josh Palmer are kind of in similar situations where they got the draft capital we wanted. They're in a passing game that we expect to put up some pretty decent numbers. We just don't have quite the you know level of security we do With some of these other guys, and that's why they're going pretty cheap in fantasy drafts. So, wouldn't say I'm worried about Curtis or McLaurin or even like Logan Thomas because of Diami Brown, but he could be that guy, you know, just in, you know, give him week. If we see those week one DFS prices and he's sitting around 3K, like I'm betting he is, uh, might be a good uh, situation to take a stab on him. A quick note on Diami, where he's kind of started popping off to me. I have a metric I made up called playmaker rate. Basically, I give three points for a run of 15 yards or a catch of 20 yards. Six points for a touchdown, one point for a broken tackle. Let's see who the playmakers are. And the draft-eligible wide receiver leaders from 2020, number one, Jalen Darden, who apparently has been tearing up Buccaneers OTAs for what it's worth. Number two, Devontae Smith. Number three, Diami Brown. Like you said, big play waiting to happen back in his college days. So like that call, Andrew. Let's move on to the NFC North now and start with the Chicago Bears. Talk to me about someone here. I'm looking at your list. (laughs) Darno Mooney. (laughs) Darno
1: Mooney. Again, so he's not someone that's super unknown. You know, a lot of people are are in on Darno Mooney, but I had had gone back and I had ranked the top receivers from the 2020 class. And Darno Mooney was someone that the more I watched and just like looked at, you know, some of the numbers with him. Really, the numbers don't really tell you a lot because the quarterback play was just so bad last year with the inaccuracy from Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky—you you can't get a good sense of how good a player Darnell Mooney is from really anything of that the numbers are going to tell you. Like again, like the Jalen Ramsey play is just unreal. He got Adoyed.
0: Carlton Davis too. <laughs> yeah,
1: like he he's just doing this too. Like all these stud cornerbacks, and it's not—that's the thing. It's it's not hard to find. Like it's one thing to cherry pick a highlight. And be like, oh, here you go. Like, he's burning this guy. But no, he's a con- consistently doing it over and over again. He's jumping up and he's making a lot of huge plays. So Mooney, for me, and the biggest thing that kind of stuck out to him, or at least that I noticed about him, one statistic that I kind of really liked to bring up is his consistency, despite being playing with one of the most erratic quarterback situations. You know, he was one of just two rookie wide receivers last year, him and Justin Jefferson to each have two catches in every single game they played. So he earned at least six plus targets in half of his games. You know how many, you know how many games Henry Ruggs had six plus targets in? Zero. Like he (laughs) he had zero. So
0: (laughs) unfortunately, I didn't know that, but good point.
1: (laughs) So Darnell Mooney, just, I think that he has some sky high upside with Justin Fields potentially taking over at some point, you know, a hyper accurate quarterback. Again, Al Robinson is still the number one, but I think that Darnell Mooney can thrive in the number two role, especially because There's really not much else. I mean, Cole Command is pretty interesting. I think maybe you might mention him, but it's it's really like pretty barren behind Robinson and Mooney. And then, I mean, Anthony Miller, like... (laughs) Are we, are we no. done with this experiment here or is, is he your guy?
0: <laughs> I'm waiting on Miller and Jimmy Graham to be cut. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what the bears are waiting for, but I don't exactly know what's going on anything in Chicago these days. Yeah, there's no, I mean, we we're talking about the giants wide receiver rim, all these names. This is like the anti version of that. I mean, Demir bird is maybe going to be starting Riley Ridley's there. Jester way, Javon Wims. I didn't even know. Jester Way was a thing until this moment in time. Marquise Goodwin's back from taking a year off and not making the Olympic team. So, Yeah, man. It's Mooney as the number two receiver for sure. My guy we need to worry about a lot, though, is just Tariq Cohen and maybe Damian Williams. So I'm I'm not going to worry too much about the Montgomery thing. I would just point out, I found this cool stat today. Last year, David Montgomery scored the fifth most PPR points from purely receiving production among all running backs. It wasn't his end of season schedule, people. That helped. It was not having Tariq Cohen around. And only Kamara McKissick, Hines, and Chase Edmonds had more PPR fantasy points from purely receiving production last year. And I'm worried that the nature of Tariq's targets are going to get in the way of Mooney and of Montgomery because last year, Mooney was tied for the 7th most targets behind the line of scrimmage for wide receivers. Cohen had the 3rd most targets of any player in that area of the field from 2018 and 2019 behind only McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. So Tariq Cohen, someone that I don't think many people think all that highly of these days. He was electric as a rookie, pretty good second year, terribly inefficient in 2019. I <laughs> Andrew, he is still the 10th highest paid running back in the league somehow, which is a testament to how little the NFL cares about their running backs uh, these days, but also a potential testament that he is going to unfortunately continue to be more involved in this Matt Nagy offense than we would uh, suspect. Have you been getting any shares to to Tariq and Underdog? I've been fine taking some shots on James White and Giovanni Bernard when I'm going, you know, zero RB or anchor RB, whatever the (laughs) hell we want to call these things. But I don't know. Like, I, I think Tariq could be annoying for other guys, but... In and of himself, I'm not really buying him.
1: Yeah, again, he's definitely in that tier of running backs where you're looking for a stable floor. Like, we're not expecting Tariq Cohen to... If if Dave Montgomery goes down, like, it's not going to be, like, Tariq Cohen's show and he's yeah. going to see his role drastically change. Like, he's going to be involved in the passing game. I mean, yeah, like, he's... I mean, in PPR, in full point PPR, again, that's not necessarily the underdog format. So if you're playing in a full point PPR, I think that it does add a little bit more to his value. But again, he still goes pretty late. So I've taken him in a couple spots, but mostly it's usually full PPR that I'll take a shot on a guy like Tariq Cohen.
0: Fair points all around. All right, Andrew, let's move on to the Detroit Lions and week one, you know, target extraordinaire from 2020, Quintez Cephas.
1: Quintez Cephas was way over his head in week one of the 2020 season. Basically, honestly, like I, I rewatched this one game and it looks like he has literally no idea what he's doing out there because it's like the coach is like, hey, Kenny Galladay not playing. You need to start in this game. I know that you have no NFL experience. Like there was no preseason. You need to come in here and you need to command. 9 targets from Matthew Stafford. You, got double digits. <laughs> you need to command 10 targets from Matthew Stafford and yeah, it was bad. Like it, it was really bad and unfortunately it's like kind of stuck with a lot of uh you know a lot of people that have played fantasy. Oh, remember Cephas? Yeah, he sucked in week 1 when he got like 10 targets picked off of the waiver wire and then he was terrible the rest of the season. But what I noticed about him was he got progressively better as the year went on and he actually finished the season really strong. His week 17 game was his highest graded game of the year and he was beating guys left and right. You know, Matthew Stafford hit him for a touchdown and, and you know, an interesting stat from the PFF Lions account. Shout out to them. Quintus Cephas, highest passer rating generated among the rookie class last Ooh. year when targeted 120.4. So again, This Detroit Lions receiving corpse is legit wide open. Like, we've heard Tyra Williams can be involved, and chances are none of them are going to be relevant. It's going to be the tight end, and then the running backs are going to be involved. But I, I think that Cephas has kind of been a forgotten man for the most part, but he is coming back. He showed some growth over the year, and I don't necessarily think that we should just take Amon Ross St. Brown, again, another day three pick. These guys are both day three picks. I mean, Cephas has, like, a downfield ability to his game He was a really good route runner coming out that was kind of one of his better traits you know getting off the line of scrimmage so that stuff usually translates so I- i'm kind of looking at cephas better as my 18th round pick to take on one of these lines receivers instead of going you know round 13 for brashad perryman or tyrell williams or even st brown i think that cephas his chance of hitting are probably just the same so i'll just take him because he's way cheaper
0: answer might just be no as a whole but it's a good point man I know remember right after the draft I ranked Amon Ross St. Brown as like my wide receiver five just for this year not in dynasty chill the hell out everybody but I I don't know he still might be there the first four are easily Chase Smith Waddle and Elijah but he really does have the available targets the question is like you know so is everybody else in this situation and it seems like out of you know OTAs and all that like Tyrell Williams might be trending towards being the guy but I really think Rashad Perryman's the best player there. Khalif Raymond made some, you know, good plays when he was asked as a field stretcher, went to Titans, and, you know, hell, Ger- Ger- Geronimo Allison is still on this roster, so it is just kind of a shisho wide receiver. I hope that they don't add to the running back room, and that's my point, where it's not a player we know right now, but please, you know, when we see these reports about the Lions and the Ravens, you know, bringing Todd Gurley in, I- I'm just thinking, why? Why are you bringing in Todd Gurley? Swift and Jamal Williams are absolutely fine. You- who cares who your number three back is? So, Swift, you know, he's going to be there. He's getting all of his targets. He's going to lead the way in total touches. Jamal might be involved enough, too, to do his thing. We can live with two back committees, people. But if they had a RV3, it is really going to be cause for concern. Again, it's like the Marlon Mack thing. I don't mean to just keep shitting on Marlon Mack. But just because you're not a fancy asset in and of yourself doesn't mean you can't take away from the fancy aspirations of the other players at that position. That's what we're worried about here if the Lions add another running back. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. Andrew, talk to me about A.J. Dillon.
1: His quads? Do you want me to hit on the quads first? Okay, so A.J. Dillon is out at training camp, and there was a big tweet about Jordan Love, you know, some Jordan Love hype, but all I saw was A.J. Dillon is running wheel routes, which which gets me really excited, but I have to change the shorts to get my quad shorts on. But (laughs) A.J. Dillon, again, so the biggest thing with Dillon, and again, a lot of people have... Made the comment, okay, he doesn't catch passes. Like, he doesn't catch passes. But the way that I look at it is it's a lot less about the running back player most of the time. It's really more about the offense that they play in. Like, you, he played at Boston College where nobody ever caught more than 36 passes in an entire season. So and that's, that's like including the wide receivers. That's including everybody. No one ever caught more than 36 passes. So his college pedigree as a pass catcher isn't there because the offense never really cater to that skill set we see that a lot from a lot of running backs a lot of running backs don't catch passes in college just not necessarily a big part of their game but where it is a big part of the game is under Mike Leach basically in any offense that he's played in in the air raid you know you look at the target leaders the past four seasons at the running back position they all played under Mike Leach at the college level and so that's why it's interesting because Kylan Hill the running back that the Packers drafted in the seventh round this past draft you know he's gotten some buzz about being a potential pass catcher, like working in and potentially taking on Jamal Williams' role. Yeah. But again, I think there's a little BS on his on his receiving line. You know, 23 catches for 234 yards and one touchdown on in like a four game stint. But he played in the Mike Leach air raid offense. I can almost guarantee you if A.J. Dillon had played <laughs> in the Mike Leach offense, he probably would have caught more passes than he did at Boston College. So I don't think we should discredit A.J. Dillon as a pass catcher until we really see it. I mean, he did catch all, basically all the targets he had in the NFL. And I think we're going to see him have a bigger role. I mean, Jamal Williams had a legit role on this offense in years past with Aaron Jones. They've yeah. committed to Aaron Jones. Maybe they don't necessarily want to run him into the ground. So I think that A.J. Dillon, again, A.J. Dillon was really good last year on an efficiency basis. 15th PFF rushing grade, 5.2, 5.2 yards per carry, 3.4 yards after contact, which ranks 7th in the league. And he was he led the league in missed tackles force per attempt, 31%. So, I mean, I think Dillon is, is one of these guys, if you're in rounds 9 through 11, if you went, you know, again, like you mentioned, like 0 RB, or robust RB or, or whatever. I think that he's a, a guy I like targeting a lot. In the 9, 10, 11 range, where I can be like, if anything happens to Aaron Jones, we can see Dylan have a bigger workload and even. If anything doesn't happen to Jones, I think Dylan will still have potentially some standalone value.
0: Yeah, and unlike uh, some of these scatbacks we've been talking about, if something happens to Jones, I think Dylan does have the potential to take the hell over. Jamal Williams did for a couple weeks last year when Jones was out of the picture. Only other note I'd add is, you know, Tyler Irvin's a free agent still. He's actually not back, and he was usually used more as a wide receiver here, but we did see in week nine, uh, Dylan was out, and I believe uh, Aaron Jones was out as well, and uh, Irvin managed to snag 16 backfield snaps. He is much. Much more like He's like the inverse A.J. Dillon. This is like a receiver playing running back. And the fact he's out of the picture, man, and all they brought in was Kylan, I think they are looking to not feature A.J. Dillon in the passing game, but at least not let that be enough of an issue to keep him off the field. You would like to think otherwise. Why else did you draft a guy uh, in that case? All right, Andrew, Minnesota Vikings. I saw who you had. I'm going to lead off, though. It's Tyler Conklin because a few people did not see the quote from Mike Zimmer. Irv Smith's season is on life support, everybody. This is from Mike Zimmer himself. Honestly, I don't think it's any bigger role for him whatsoever, talking of Irv. I think it's a bigger role for Tyler Conklin. He's kind of emerged as a guy that's moving upward. And with those two guys, we have a lot of weapons there. Irv always has been able to do what he's been able to do, whether Kyle was here or not. We're excited about these two young tight ends that we have here. The splits from last year when Rudolph missed time reflect this. It's gonna be a two tight end system in Minnesota. And what did we just say earlier? If you have two tight ends in fantasy, you almost always don't have one. I have Irv down, man. And it's a situation where the talent's great. He's still, you know, I believe 23, maybe even 22. Like his age is one of these, you know, growing urban legends up there, like there with, uh, you know, Amari Cooper and the likes. But right now with Irv, I have him as my tight end 17 behind Gerald Everett, behind the Patriots, behind Fergster and Troutman. I guess I'd still take him over Siki Komet, Ingram guys with similar usage problems but like if you're in a one tight end redraft league like normal i don't think you need to waste your time with Irv smith great player buy low on dynasty if you feel like it i just don't think that rule is going to be as big as we would all like it to be don't take my word for it listen to freaking head coach
1: yeah he does control who plays on the field so it's 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 important kind of (laughs) important kind of important (laughs) it's important that we take note of those things and look we all wanted Irv smith to be a thing kyle rudolph left we're like, oh, hey, okay, look at the splits. Okay, there we go. But that was with the idea that he would see an increased role. But when you go back and basically look at the numbers, you know, Tyler Conklin did see an increased role when Kyle Rudolph met, missed time. He, basically, the targets were even. The routes per run were basically the same. So you just have a tight end that's split down the middle. And, you know, if you combine them two, then, okay, now we have like a tight end in fantasy we can use. But unfortunately, we can't do that. We can't just combine these two guys. So, yeah, this was a tough one for me to find a wild card for it again Tyler Conk was something that came to mind but I just wanted to bring up Amir Smith-Marset as well so he's a fifth round pick for the Minnesota Vikings really good in terms of the workout metrics but the thing is again like you mentioned they run a lot of 12 personnel again they ran 11 personnel at at the smallest rate among all teams last season so really it's it's tight ends it's running backs and it's Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson so again basically the hope with Smith-Marset is that it's an injury to Jefferson or Thielen. Guys like Ole Johnson and Chad Beebe are, are basically just jags at this point. They haven't done a lot. And we did see at least when Thielen did miss time, we saw Chad Beebe and Ole Johnson actually have season highs in terms of fantasy production. You know, they both scored over 16 fantasy points in that one game that Thielen missed last year. So... There is some value to ISM if anything happens to Thielen, probably because again, he's getting a bit older. He's been, he's had his fair share of hamstring injuries and things like that. So he's just somebody to kind of keep in mind in case an injury pops up to one of the, the main starters.
0: Hey, if I don't have to hear. To every single vikings broadcast point out that chad Beebe is don Beebe's son i would be very happy about that potential breaking news now i cannot stress enough how unverified this is everybody a friend texted me from another friend that's the type of source we're going with here but just in the off chance that by the time this podcast is, is published we get the real news a friend of a friend is noting that michael thomas was supposed to get his ankle checked on but wouldn't answer anyone's phone calls including the head coach or gm waiting until he got back for otas and allegedly a allegedly reportedly might need ankle surgery and miss 16 weeks i don't know i wouldn't put a ton of basis behind that but if you hear that he is out 16 weeks and you heard it here first and i was a hell of a lot more convincing when i gave that note so i don't know Andrew, is that a segue into the saints section right now not at all i'm just wondering (laughs) well okay i was we had the Jameis workout videos from the other day and they said i think it was like Traquan, deontay and callaway were there not michael thomas i i don't know andrew I don't know, that ankle injury is, it's a problem maybe.
1: So now we're going to get Troutman up into, like, the Kyle Pitts range <laughs> of, of, of tight end rankings.
0: Main main takeaway here, people, draft more Adam Troutman. Please don't, <laughs> like, run with that rumor. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll even tell the pod to cut it, but we'll see. Anyway, one thing that is not a rumor is the PFF College Football Preview Magazine, which is out live on the site. It's for just seven nine nine with a PFF College subscription. It's complete with 600 pages of analysis, best returning players for all 130 teams, advanced scheme breakdown, strength of schedule, when projections and much more again that's available with any pff college or a pff edge subscription get it now for less than eight dollars i was checking out my ohio state buckeyes section last night chris alave number one separator in, in the ncaa i'm not surprised it's what the film told me and i love when our college football guys seth galena anthony triash can back up what we see on film with the numbers all that and more in the pff college football preview magazine okay with my brilliant transitioning skills we're gonna go to the nfc south not starting with the saints though that's that's not the alphabetical order, Andrew. We got to talk some Atlanta Falcons, and specifically Elimide Zacchaeus. Potentially, maybe Elimide
1: Zacchaeus. Oh, Zacchaeus! Damn it! I think, I think it. it's okay. Zacchaeus. Yeah, okay. I, I just call I just call him the Wizard of Oz, though. I think, that's, I think that's honestly the best nickname for him. Did you come up with that? No, I don't know. I mean, yeah, whatever.
0: Hey, it's, it's yours now. So the Wizard of Oz,
1: Elimide Zacchaeus. So basically, the thing with him is the the Russell Gage hype train has, I think left the station too too early again Gage is really just a slot receiver he needs a lot of targets to put up big numbers and at least what I saw last year looking at the splits when we actually looked at Zacchaeus playing in games without Julio Jones you know in three of the four games he played he was really good in those games filling in for Julio Jones he averaged 11.8 fantasy points per game and when you actually break down the four games that he was actually playing full-time getting a full snap share without Julio Jones in the lineup he was actually outproducing russell gage so this seems to have gotten lost in translation between you know breaking down the russell gage splits with and without julio and people are just looking at oh no julio okay insert russell gage but like guys like julio jones leads the nfl history like all nfl history in terms of receiving yards per game like you don't just replace that guy with a slot receiver like it just doesn't work that way so again i I think that Russell Gage going in round 10, round 11 is way too high when you can take Zacchaeus literally with your last pick in a best ball draft or in a regular draft because he could be the one that's actually starting on the outside. They're talking about moving Gage around. I don't see Gage having a lot of success on the outside. So look, Zacchaeus, especially the thing with him, I looked at PFF grades versus man coverage as rookies. And this was to hype up Levisca Chenault and T. Higgins and, and other players like that. But, Zaccheaus also popped up on that because his rookie, he caught that like 99 yard touchdown from Matt (laughs) Ryan (laughs) and it just happened to be on man coverage. Again, it's a very small sample size, just one catch, but he does have explosive upside. He can play on the outside and he was productive when he given a full snap share, you know, over 75% last year. So I like him a lot. I think the value is there with him and yeah,
0: I like him a lot. I'm just prepared to already yell at people on Twitter that try to take, because, oh, you know, take away that 90-yard touchdown and what has he really <laughs> done for us? He made it happen. I don't care if it was man coverage. He was better than his man on that play. Give him some credit for it. But yeah, we're, we're in lockstep here. Per Torrey uh, McElhaney from The Athletic, Zacchaeus does appear to have the number three wide receiver role. It was always a little bit of a problem trying to figure out between him and Christian Blake. You know, we'll see. Like one of the big things, Once I, I cannot wait for preseason football. One of the big reasons, not the performance. Necessarily, you know, it all plays into the factor a little bit more so the first team snaps. So, ideally, we see the preseason comes. Zacchaeus is out there with Julio, with uh, oh my gosh, with Ridley. Oh, that sucks! With Ridley, with Gage, with Pitts, with all the first teamers. And if he is, we will feel much better about this. But yeah, only three games with five plus targets in his career. Went eight catches, 86 yards, four catches, 41 yards, four catches, 103 in the tutty. I'm guessing that was the 90 plus yard game. So, good stuff. I don't think he Ridley, or Pitts, but yes, I think the gauge hype is getting a little bit out of control. Now moving on to the Carolina Panthers. Andrew, talk to me about Dan Arnold and my namesake, Ian Thomas.
1: Man, it's it's really hard to pick between these two players because Ian Thomas, I wrote about, you know, early on in free agency as a potential buy low candidate because I thought, look, man, the opportunity was here for this guy. He was tenth in routes run last year at the tight end position. But then they brought in Dan Arnold. So again, I don't even know who the starting tight end is often offense is, but it's interesting that the beat reports out of Carolina are that Ian Thomas is looking really good and he's understanding the playbook much more in year two. Again, it said that he struggled with learning it over zoom last year. And that shows based on his production last year, because it was terrible. I I mean, I, you can't make up his 0.31 yards per route run 108th when you finish ninth in the nfl and routes i mean he ran 468 routes and Got he it. did literally nothing with them I, I don't even know how it's even possible but they are looking for someone to matt rule actually specifically said this they're looking for someone to take over the middle of the field where curtis samuel operated last year and look we've talked about sam darnold at nauseum on this podcast you know never really saying good things but i have something good to say about sam darnold oh but here we go listen up people and i can't lie about it because I, I looked up the numbers and look sam darnold since 2018 basically since the end of the nfl targeting the tight end position again this is why we liked chris herndon people like there were numbers to back it up so since 2018 targeting the tight end position number four in adjusted completion percentage seventh in passer rating 13th in pff passing grade that's sam darnold like those are the, the legit numbers like he was efficient targeting the tight end position so ian thomas one of these tight ends is going to be more involved than we're giving them credit for. I mean, basically, they've both been left for dead; they're not being drafted at all. But there's a lot of vaca- vacated targets God. in this offense left from Curtis Samuel. Obviously, we expect Terrence Marshall to get involved a little bit. Chris McCaffrey's coming back, but there is going to be some tight end of consequence in this offense. So it's important to pay attention to if Ian Thomas emerges. He's someone that's going to be interesting. He's an athletic tight end. I mean, both of these guys are athletic. Dan Arnold's a former wide receiver. And they drafted Tommy Tremley, who really profiles more as a blocking tight end. So I figured yeah. that he's going to probably operate in that role where we're going to get one of these tight ends operate as the main pass catcher. So right now, no one is drafting either of these Carolina tight ends. And I'm not so sure that should be the, the, uh, the right process.
0: I'm not sure the number four option this passing game is going to be. It could be one of the tight ends. It could be Terrence Marshall. It could be David Moore. We know it's going to be McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, in some order. Again, I, I'm still perplexed why Robbie's going that far behind DJ Moore. And, you know, you can say that DJ is a better real-life receiver, and I think you'd be right. But we just had 16 games of evidence that Robbie could outproduce DJ Moore, however you want to cut it. And now we got the quarterback that's used to throwing to Robbie back. But story for another day, we do need to see who is going to take on that role I was kind of signaling out Terrence Marshall here because, hey, they, you know, thought enough of him to use a fairly high pick on him. And then once you bring him in this room, like... It's a new quarterback with a new high-end wide receiver out there, and we got McCaffrey back. There's a situation where we just see these guys all hovering far closer to 100 targets than we would like. I'm not either way. I think the big takeaway from here is like we're not going to see Robbie and DJ dominate the target share as much as they did last year. Hopefully, Darnold's good enough to uh, you know make the most out of it. Wouldn't exactly bet much on that. Uh, one quick note, we brought him up like three times. People, I am off the Chris Herndon train. It pains me to say that. I hope the best for him. I will be cheering every single time. He does literally anything of consequence. Don't get me wrong. But we're getting reports now that Tyler Croft has a legit chance to be the starting tight end there. So Croft, mac and cheese, you know, the dude is solid. And unfortunately with Herndon, like I'm taking Mo Cox ahead of this guy in best ball drafts. You know, I'm look, I love my players. I'm, I'm very, you know. A stubborn faithful whatever you want to call it but i'm not an idiot or at least i try not to be and for that reason i have not been getting hardly any chris herndon exposure in the year 2021 so i'm sorry if you want to throw me off the bandwagon then it'll hurt and i'll uh, keep supporting so enough chris herndon talk for one june 29th podcast new orleans saints andrew talk to me about the new orleans saints and specifically Deonta harris
1: deontay harris i like Deonta harris a lot Traquan Smith and Autumn Troutman are kind of the lead dogs in terms of ADP of who people are targeting for some of these ancillary Saints receivers I mean I'm on the Troutman I, I agree I think Troutman has a really good opportunity I haven't ranked as a top 12 option but look Traquan Smith we've we've kind of done this a lot with him I mean he's coming off his worst PFF graded season last year after he really had a big opportunity to kind of step up with Michael Thomas banged up and he didn't really do so and, and Deontay Harris Man, this guy is really explosive, and basically every time he touches the ball, he's making plays. Look at his past game logs in the wildcard round last year. It's seven catches for 83 yards. His PFF receiving grade finished 23rd in the league last year, 7th in yards after the catch per reception, 24th in yards per route run, and the biggest thing for me is his punt returnability. Like We've seen this translate at the NFL with some of these players, part-time players at least, that they don't necessarily are flashing as receiving options all the time because they just don't have big roles. But when they are returning punts, like that has shown to be more projectable in terms of this player can be a legit wide receiver in the league. So he's top eight in punt return average the last two seasons. So with more opportunities available in the offense with the saints ranking towards the top and basically vacated targets, vacated air yards. I mean, look, I don't want to compare him necessarily to Tyreek Hill, but again, Hill like was a punt returner. Like that's what he was really good at during his early ages early stages in the nfl so harris is showing some signs of that so again there's prime opportunity for someone to grab And i think if harris actually gets a larger role like we saw in that wild card round i think that he could actually make some noise in the same saints receiving corps
0: you hear that everybody Deontay Harris equals Tyreek Hill heard it from Andrew Erickson himself it's good stuff man and hey you know we'll we'll see how my just worst source ever turns out here with the Michael Thomas move <laughs> but obviously there are a ton of targets uh open for business in New Orleans and if it does end up being Jameis under center which it seems to be treading in that direction I mean hell we're two years removed from you know Mike Evans and Chris Goblin both being fantasy stars I'm not sure if you know that'd be the same case here I think Michael Thomas and Troutman and kamara it's a, it's a different offense for sure but one of these guys between harris Traquan, and callaway i think is going to make uh, some noise to some, ex- some extent and uh, i don't see why it couldn't be harris so good stuff there i would just bring up latavius murray because he seems to kind of being be getting a little bit forgotten i see him sliding a lot of these underdog drafts like people in 2019 when kamara missed two games latavius turned in two top three performances they did not ask this guy to leave the field this is like an aj Dillon situation where latavius Didn't catch many passes, but as we found out, it was just because they weren't throwing the ball. No, he's not Kamara, but he's still adept, and if they want to check the ball down, he's fine with that. So Latavius, you know, going behind David Johnson and draft is just an insult. And, you know, going alongside guys like Naeem Hines, I mean, give me Latavius. Because, if again, he's this handcuff where if the starter goes out, all of a sudden Latavius is booming to the top of the RB1 ranks. Not necessarily the top, but he would be in that top 12. Conversation. So, Latavius, just keep in mind, I mean, with Taysom Hill under center, too, Kamara only out touched Latavius Murray 60 to 46. And if we're assuming that the passing to the running backs is going to take a slight step back, you know, we just need to realize that Kamara does not have the same sort of stranglehold on his carries that these other running backs going in the top six, top seven do. Alvin Kamara never had 200 carries in the season, don't necessarily expect that to change this year with potentially more Taysom and the usual dose of Latavius. Andrew, let's talk about some Tampa Bay Buccaneers football now, specifically the mustache man, Giovanni Bernard.
1: Giovanni Bernard. Tampa Bay has like 12 wildcard because their team is so deep. Like, <laughs> like there's other True. teams we're trying, to, we're trying to like find these guys, unearth these players, and Tampa Bay has like four guys we could have listed off here. So Giovanni Bernard, I think that he's the favorite to win the pass catching duties in the Bucs backfield. I, I think that we saw last year, with the drops, the inconsistencies with Fournette and Ronald Jones in terms of pass pro, just Brady on the sideline being like, dude, just get me a guy that was going to catch the ball. And that's Giovanni Bernard. And look, Tampa Bay finished fourth in targets of the running back position last year. It was really the driving force behind Leonard Fournette's fantasy finish during the playoffs. It was basically what Lombardi Lenny was, was him out of the backfield, like catching passes. Ronald Jones was Clearly, the better running back on first and second down. Again, they were running behind the same offensive line, so you have Ronald Jones averaging over five yards a carry, and Leonard, jo- Leonard Fournette is averaging like three point five. So again, yards per carry isn't necessarily super predictive or predictive. But when we look at two running backs playing in the same offense behind the same offensive line, it's kind of important to recognize that one was clearly better than the other. So. I think Fournette's kind of like a, a man kind of left out here. Again, he's the one that's going highest in ADP, but people are, are timid on him because it's not that far away from Ronald Jones. And, and Giovanni, where you can get? I think you mentioned him earlier when we we're talking about Cohen. You can get him super late. And Bernard, unlike Tariq Cohen, unlike James White, we've seen Bernard actually like be a three down guy. Like he's done it before. Eight games last year without Joe Mixon. Bernard when Bernard's at least a 40% snap share, average 14.5 fantasy points per game, 17.6 opportunities per game, and 4.3 targets. So again, he's basically like a you know scat back plus. Like he has more potential. And if Brady's like, no, like leave Bernard in the game. Like I don't want anybody else in the game. I want him pass broad, I want him running. Like that's in his range of outcomes. And to get him in like the 15th, 16th round of, of drafts, like that's easy because if it doesn't work out, okay, you just drop him and move on. Like, you don't have to commit anything to a potential, you know, RB1 on offense because, look, I don't know how this Bucks offense is going to backfield is going to shake out. Nobody knows except except Bruce Aarons and he could change it the day of the game. So take the cheapest guy. And right now it's Bernard with, with the pass catching upside.
0: I guess Keyshawn's the cheapest guy, but I'm with you. Uh, I don't know. Why, why dude, they, they hate
1: They hate him, dude. Well, yeah, no,
0: I, I, that's what I'm saying. Why would you even bring in Giovanni Bernard in the first yeah. place if you felt good with Keyshawn? So I am with you. And this is a quote from Bruce Arians on June 10th, you know, freaking 19 days ago. I know fantasy doesn't like that, but those two guys, I mean, Rojo is one of the best runners I've been around. Lenny had that great run in the playoffs. He showed what they drafted him for in the top five. So we're blessed to have this group of backs with Keyshawn and Gio. It's a hell of a group. Article titled, titled Bruce Arians won't please fantasy football players. Bruce usually does the opposite. Usually he's like, I want all of my running backs to get dozens of touches every single week. (laughs) Now he's actually seemingly knocking on wood, being honest about there being a committee on the rise. And it would make sense. I mean, Rojo was the worst receiving back in the league last year in terms of PFF receiving grade. And Leonard Fournette was not too far behind. Rojo was a significantly better rusher. Man, at the end of the year, he had COVID, he had a broken finger, he had a calf issue. Like it's no wonder he couldn't get going into playoffs. Credit to Fournette. He was fantastic in those four games. He's going to still be involved. But yeah, I'm taking Rojo above Fournette because Lenny is the one that needs those targets. Rojo should still have a lot of the early down work. I would point out, and you said it, man. Like we could have talked, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, even yeah. Darden's been making Darden, noise. Yeah. I would say though, OJ Howard uh, is someone that should be. I mean, look, I'm taking OJ Howard over Chris Herndon as yeah. well. Like, let's just keep on bashing, bashing my guy there. But look, in the first four games of last year, OJ had 18 targets. Gronk had 14. Braid had two. And this wasn't like they were just coasting Gronk back in the football shape. He played at least 69 percent of the snaps in each of weeks one through four. I mean, Howard was the PPR tight end 17. In his first four games, on pace for a career high 76 targets. And the fact that he has never gotten the 76 targets before makes my all my dynasty teams I have with him sitting on the bench just cry even more. So, OJ Howard, he's still a guy where when you pull up these you know, yards per target metrics and any sort of efficiency measure, you're going to see him near the top of the list. He's always been great with his opportunities. He just hasn't gotten the opportunities because of Cam Brady and not because of Rob Gronkowski. So, I would just say, even though, I mean, even though Gronkowski gonna to continue to be the guy. It is a little bit closer than I think we would imagine with OJ. And as great as Gronk's, you know, two touchdowns Super Bowl performance was, I don't think uh, you know, it's necessarily someone we should be looking to jump on in fantasy drafts because if OJ stays healthy this year, I think we're gonna see much more of the two tight end system they presumably wanted to run last year. But hey, people, if you disagree with me, if you just want to build around Gronk, put your money where your mouth is. Because if you like fantasy football, if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no one season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Andrew, when What's our next uh scheduled stream for that? Do we have one?
1: Yeah, every every Thursday we'll be back on it.
0: Thursday. Okay. I will do my best to be there this week. I will not be on the beach. So that shouldn't be a problem. And maybe we can even throw in some extras in between. Yeah. We'll tweet that out everybody, but it's a good time. And and seriously, even if you're not, you know, a complete fiend and planning on doing, you know, hundreds of these things throughout the summer, uh, like some people out there, it really is, uh, you know, I think it's more helpful to do these than mock drafts. I remember back in the day when before my, you know, season long league, we were going, you want to kind of figure out what's going on. If you haven't been studying it all off season, just take, Again, $10, promo code PFF. You get some awesome PFF stuff, and then go enter a couple $3 drafts. You might just win some money. And more importantly, you'll get a good feel for the landscape, where guys are going before you enter that home league with your friends. So, again, underdog fantasy, promo code PFF. Absolutely love it. Andrew, we have reached the final division, the NFC West, and we're going to start things off with the Arizona Cardinals. Give me the guy we should be, you know, kind of worried about. I, I need a better topic for this overall podcast. I hope people kind of <laughs> understand the point, but, you know, give me your wild card. We'll go with that.
1: So James Conner, I think that he makes a sense as a wild card player here. He's not necessarily talked about or viewed as a starter in, in Arizona. I think that Edmonds will, will lead the team in carries. I think that he'll be the main guy when it comes to the running back touches. But I, I'm terrified that Chase Edmonds, or Chase Edmonds is going to get just these bloated, touches that don't have any fantasy value attached to them like i'm afraid it's going to be in between the 20s and he's going to lose out in pass game work to some of the receivers that they've added and the goal line Like that's the biggest thing is goal line work and there's no evidence whatsoever that exists in on planet earth that says that chase edmonds who has one goal line carry in his entire career is going to get work at the goal line over kyler murray number one or james connor who has 32 carries inside the five yard line over the past two seasons or since 2018. So for me, that that's a huge red flag with chase. Ed- I mean, I haven't drafted basically no chase Edmonds because I just see all of these paths where I don't, I don't know what his receiving role is really going to be. I don't see him getting work at the goal line. I have concerns with the, a mobile quarterback. And I, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, what's the, what's, what's his role going to be as chase Edmonds. Again, he's not a guy that's been built like a, Three down, like running back. I mean, I mean that picture came out, and I was like, oh my gosh, should I move him in the rankings? <laughs> because it was it was it was straight fire. Like the, the picture was awesome, but at the same time, like man, like I don't know if I can really draft Chase Edmonds. You know, round six. Like I'd rather have Gaskin or you know Mike like Mike Davis, like those types of players. It's like I feel more confident about their roles. Whereas Edmonds, it's confusing. Yes, could Connor get hurt? Sure, like that's totally possible. And then you see Edmonds have bigger games, like we saw last year with Drake, but. I think they're they're going into the season planning on Connor being the goal line back. I mean, he has that connection. I remember you identified that as the reason why Connor ended up with Arizona was he has a coaching connection there. So, I mean, Connor probably has some idea of having a role on the offense and it would make sense. It'd be the goal line.
0: Yeah, man. And I do think we overstate uh, goal backs from time to time. But there's a couple situations. Arizona, and I would say the Chargers with Eckler is another one, where we do see teams really refrain from giving certain players carries out the goal line. And my goodness, last year, Dal- I'm, excuse me, Kenny and Drake joined Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook as the only players with more than 20 carries inside the five-yard line. Kyla Murray had seven. Chase Edmonds had one. One carry inside the five yard line like that is a considered effort not to put this guy in near the goal line. I understand it's 2021. It's legal to score a touchdown outside the five yard line. It just doesn't help. And James Conner, as much as a lot of people wanted to write him off, uh, you know, as being injury prone last year, he got banged up a few times, but he actually only missed like extended action with COVID. So. Credit to him for, you know, keeping together a little bit more. And I know the Steelers O-line sucked. He still averaged 4.3 yards per carry. And now he's going from the O-line that a lot of people consider one of the worst in the league to the Cardinals, who have averaged the second most yards per four contact per rush over the past two seasons behind only Lamar Jackson. So bit more unique of a situation. We talk, you know, you've done really good studies. I think you got an updated version of your uh, mobile quarterback effect on, um, you know, running backs and stuff and what to kind of make of that in fantasy land. So make sure you all check that out on PFF.com. In Connor's case, though, I mean, Kyler Murray has come out and said that he wants to run less. I think he'll change his mind when he sees how the offense looks with him running less. There is a lot of open opportunity, though, and it seems pretty clear they don't necessarily trust Edmonds to be that guy. So, you know, where Connor is going in fantasy drafts, He is probably more of a value than people are giving him credit for. Like, oh, actually, no, he's not. How is he going that high still behind Ronald Jones? Wow. I wouldn't touch him at that spot. I was thinking he was probably closer to RB50. So not saying you should go get James Conner. As we're saying, you should not go get a lot of these guys. Do realize, though, the impact he could have on Chase Edmonds is very much real. And I think that's, I mean, Andrew, that whole, you know, zone. I'm not sure who originally coined it the running back dead zone, but that's why I haven't been getting much Chase Edmonds, much Mike Davis, uh, any of those guys. I want to get, you know, one or two of the first 15 running backs and move on.
1: Yeah, exactly. I want to lock and load these running backs that I know I can project for 20 plus touches in a week. Yeah. You got great wide receivers in that range. And two, with, with the RB dead zone thing, it's, it's been less about, it's like less of the, you know, DeAndre Swift archetype players. It's more of the, hey, this running back is the starter, like by default. Yeah. Like it's not these running backs that, okay, like you know, Swift has a couple of like things you can you could pick at with same thing with like a Dobbins. like they're not bad player. Like we don't know how good Jace Evas is is in like a full time role. Like we've yeah. seen him like spurts here and there, but at least we saw Swift like be a full-time player and be really effective. and same thing with Dobbins. So like yeah. even though I mean, it's like rounds three through six or whatever, that's the dead zone. You gotta look at the archetypes of players. It's usually like the veterans who have kind of hung around and are just kind of like gotten the role because no one else took it from them, basically. It's kind of like those are the players that you need to have a little red flags about
0: mike davis miles gaskin i don't disagree with their rankings i'm actually i think a few spots ahead of mike davis considered to consensus compared to consensus the problem in these drafts and again just go to a couple of underdog and you'll see what i'm talking about like running backs we're seeing like almost 15 running backs more of more than that fly off the board in the first two rounds and a lot of people i think panic when they haven't had their running back yet so they're kind of reaching on this group instead of taking you know the top 10 top 15 wide receiver that's still available so yeah for me you know we'll have more specific stuff uh throughout the summer and you can again check out our best ball draft kit we have strategies for you with every single round uh would we'll just say though that you know to be careful about reaching on one of these running backs where we don't have quite uh, the same certainty of a role as we might with an alpha wide receiver going in the same spot andrew it's time to talk about one of the sexier teams this whole offseason the los angeles rams we got matthew stafford under center now and you want to talk about the potential number three wide receiver van jefferson
1: Van Jefferson, look, he may not be the number three receiver by week one because Deshaun Jackson, again, Deshaun Jackson is going to have his weeks. Like, he's going to have a 100-yard game probably week one. But look, Deshaun Jackson has 23 catches over the past two years in eight (laughs) games, several of which he's left with due to injury. So I'm not holding my breath that Deshaun Jackson is going to play the whole season or he's going to be a situational player. Whereas Van Jefferson, I think, can really step in and be a focal point in this Rams offense you look at their team last year with Josh Reynolds he was the guy that led the team in air yards and in deep targets last year we saw Van Jefferson play that role towards the end of the season when he actually led the team in receiving yards in the last two games that he played so he had flashes here and there when he got a role to play in the offense so I like him a lot again they drafted Tutu Atwo which I think has gotten people off of Van Jefferson a bit but Look, man, Tutu Atwell is 155 pounds, soaking wet. Like, um, don't be concerned about him. He's really more of a gadget-esque type of slot player. Like, if anything, I think that we're going to see Robert Woods probably have less rushing attempts than we usually do. I think that we're going to see Atwell kind of use more in that role. Again, they're probably going to have to make it a little bit more unique because it's going to be a a, a tell if Atwell's just out there just to take a carry. So hopefully Sean McVay is a little bit more creative than that. But... As a actual traditional wide receiver, I think that Van Jefferson is going to be another player that works out on the perimeter because Robert Woods and Cooper Cup play in the slot a lot. They they both play in the slot a lot, so I think as a legitimately or as a legitimate outside wide receiver, I think Van Jefferson can actually be the guy. Not to say that he can be you know Matthew Stafford's Kenny Galladay, or Marvin Jones, but again, like he has a skill set that's different than all of the other receivers on this team that I think makes him more unique and and someone to worth worth drafting and what are your later picks
0: i like the call man because i'm I'm not finding myself getting a lot of Robert Woods and Cooper Cups. I just feel like even though they're still good, I have some concerns. I don't see Woods getting the same sort of rushing targets. And if you look at how they used him, he doesn't get deep balls. Maybe that was because Jared Goff was there, but he's also never quite been that type of receiver. They kind of have different priorities in the red zone. And the Cooper Cup knee stuff that keeps going on, man. I mean, he was talking about uh, his injury that happened last year that caused him to miss the game against the Packers uh, in the playoffs. And he's like, I think we had, I don't know, 12 to 15 needles put in my knee that week he's talking about how he feels great now it's like all right bro i'm happy you do but (laughs) it's just a little bit concerning so when they're going there alongside like the tampa bay receivers and the cincinnati receivers i'm just kind of been looking elsewhere so i like the idea of buying a little bit lower still getting a good part of of an offense in a situation that i think will put up points even if it's through you know a few guys that we're not used to seeing Andrew talked to me about the San Francisco 49ers. And I believe we nailed this one together. For those that don't know, Andrew sent me a list of his players before I put mine together, which is great. We're trying to, you know, get some different viewpoints here in the PFF fantasy football podcast. None other ex ex-Giants running back Wayne Goldman. Talk to me.
1: I was drafting a lot of Jeff Wilson in best ball before he tore his knee up. I think, I don't even remember what he was doing. It, it was something preposterous. And the thing with Wayne Goldman is if you were if you were in on Jeff Wilson, which a lot of people were, because he had a decent ADP, like people were drafting Jeff Wilson, you should be in on Wayne Gallman because I honestly think they're just replace a player. Like, okay, insert take out Jeff Wilson, insert Wayne Gallman because that's what Wayman Goldman was last year for the Giants. He was a goal line monster. Like he was a de facto running back two in fantasy football last year for the New York Giants. He scored a ton of points he was the rb10 from week 7 through 13 averaged 16 fantasy points per game and he because he was averaging a touchdown per game and if you look at last year with jeff wilson when he was had his monster weeks it was because of red zone usage like he was getting a ton of usage at the goal line and when wayne Goldman first signed with the 49ers like the announcement was okay like he's the running back two on the team but nobody seems to care whatsoever because it's Mostert and Trey Sermon that are the top two guys, and, and I agree with that. But Wayne Gallman, if I don't draft him, nobody does. Like that's, the, like, that's what's happening with him sometimes. So I've drafted him in the 15th round. Sometimes then I realize, oh, wait, I can just wait till the 18th round, 19th round because nobody seems to want to draft Wayne Gallman on their team when he showed last year that he can be a red zone monster, and we know that this offense just scores fantasy points wherever the running back is. And we also know this offense puts running backs in situations where they get hurt. They get, they have to get, take contact. And look, I, I just think that it's a really easy bet to make on a guy like Wayne Gallman at the end of the round. I think I think that's it, Ian.
0: Yeah, Andrew. Like the all right. I look. I love Trey Sermon. Lovely did for Ohio State. He seems like a great player. How he's getting this like he's the one guy not injury prone here is ridiculous. Literally the last time we saw him play, he got one carry against Alabama and suffered a bad shoulder injury. He it took him really until the last three four games of that year to even beat out Master Teague. Nothing against Master Teague. He's a good running back in his own right. He had to leave Oklahoma because it wasn't working out there. Like hey. Shanahan used a third round pick on Sermon. I'm in on the guy. Just realize it's not like he's walking out there starting week one getting this workhorse role. It does seem like, per Matt Barrows from The Athletic, that Gallman is the RB2 right now after Wilson went down. And he probably should be, man. So he's making less than a million dollars. If, if Sermon outplays him in training camp, I'm not saying Gallman's necessarily going to be absolutely the RB2. But look, man, like we had this conversation, we've had this conversation for the last two decades about the Patriots' backfield. Like, when in doubt, pick the cheapest guy right now, Wayne Gallman is absolutely the cheapest guy. The disparity between him and everyone else, far too high. I would still take Raheem Mostert over Trey Sermon, uh, you know, just on the year. Because the the biggest bounce back I get to that is they say, all right, we'll have fun in week six when Mostert is hurt. If your worst reason for not drafting a player is because he's, you know, going to be hurt by your, you know, just Nostradamus injury predictor teller, maybe rethink that and consider taking the discount that we're getting on these guys. Andrew, we have reached team number 16. Good 75 minutes in this podcast. Thank you, as always, for everyone sticking around. Talk to me about the Seattle Seahawks.
1: Gerald Everett tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. They need a number three pass catching option. They have DK Metcalf, at the Tower Lockett. They drafted Eskridge, who I'm kind of lukewarm on as a prospect. He's a little bit older, which I don't necessarily like. So we'll see. I think that he's also dealing with some type of injury, too, that he... Had to deal with in, in training or in minicamp. So Gerald Everett, look, Gerald Everett has the connection with the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator was literally with him with the Rams when they drafted him. So there is a connection there. The Seahawks have a ton of vacated end zone targets. Okay, Gerald Everett, six foot three, tight end in the red zone. Like that's what we want. And Russell Wilson, most of his pass attempts go to the end zone, yeah. and it's not like we've never seen. Russell Wilson produced top tight end fantasy production. We've seen it multiple times. Greg Disley, top five tight end in 2019 until he got hurt. Jimmy Graham caught 10 touchdowns in 2017, and he was a top four tight end in 2016. Again, it'd be one thing if Gerald Everett was some old veteran tight end like Olsen was last year where you weren't really sure what to get from him, but this guy's explosive. Again, leads all tight ends at forced miss, miss tackle rate since the start of 2018. Look, if Gerald Everett was good enough to keep Higby from breaking out all over the place then he's probably good enough to beat out a couple rookies to garner some targets in his offense so again if you can't get targets which again he's at best third in targets on his offense we need at least high efficient targets and it's hard to beat ones coming from Russell Wilson
0: in that case 100%. 100%. I maintain, give Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson one good tight end for the entire season. That guy's scoring 10 touchdowns all year, every year. It's a, it's a good point all around, man. Where do you have him ranked uh, off the top of your head?
1: Gerald Everett, I'm very sure he's in my, I think he's in my top 15, but he's someone yeah. that is not, he doesn't have a very high ADP. Like he's not, no. he's one of the, the. I mean, Troutman has kind of definitely gone up a lot. Like a lot of people are, are talking about Troutman, but not enough people are talking about Gerald Everett, who I think honestly it's it's probably some pretty similar range of outcomes. Again, you just want to stay out of the middle of the tight ends. Like that that's the main thing. You either draft one top five, or draft one like twelve through twenty.
0: Also have to point out, yeah, new Seahawks offensive coordinator. Shane Waldron was formerly uh, the Rams passing game coordinator with Everett. So that's another nice little, uh, you know, chemistry we got going on there. I have Everett as my tight end 16. So just about where you are right behind the Patriots tight ends. You know, I I do think that maybe, you know, if there is going to be a team that uses them right, it's probably going to be one of the only two teams we've seen actually do that over the past decade. But yeah, I take Everett over Irv Smith, over Mike Jasicki, over Cole Komet, over Evan Ingram you know, not saying you need to go on a limb to draft him because, to your point, his ADP is lower than that. Just realize, people, wouldn't it be all that shocking if Gerald Everett finds the end zone 8, 10 times? I don't know. Call me crazy. Hey,
1: Robert Tanya did it, so.
0: (laughs) That's true. Unprovoked shot at Robert Tanya, but we'll take it. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We have some cool stuff on the horizon. Andrew and I will be blurbing our hearts out this week, getting the Fantasy Football Draft Guide ready to be published. That should be out early, mid-June. Believe me, I'll be barking about it on every single podcast once it is. So stay tuned for that. Andrew, what else are you working on in the meantime?
1: So I'm doing team previews, so going by each team, all 32, kind of talking about what's going to be different about the offense this year because as much as we like to recite stuff that happened last year, Chances are most of it's useless. Like like these teams are different in a lot of different ways. So want to point out the differences that you can expect. Really want to talk about projecting forward, less about 2020, more about 2021, and really focusing on those points there.
0: Got to be careful about that. And that's not you, just as everyone, me included. Like we can't just take the 2020 end of season rankings and push them to 2021. You know, I, I think we throw around the word regression, like too negatively. A lot of times it's just really hard for players to be that freaking awesome to years in a row like it was aaron Rodgers really like uh an average quarterback from 2015 and 2019 even though those numbers said that obviously not so remember don't let last season or don't, let, don't let yesterday's mistake influence tomorrow's fantasy draft good stuff andrew make sure everyone follow him on twitter at andrew erickson underscore i mean you can find me every day on here we got the fantasy files continuing to roll out 100 articles in a 100 day series continues over on pff.com and again keep an eye out for that pff fantasy draft guide here in the upcoming weeks that's gonna do it everybody thank you again for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care